0: Great to see everyone tonight. Very happy to uh, be here again and be your speaker in these series of meetings. And Frank gave me the, the microphone tutorial, so I think that I can avoid letting it rip off my coat 14 times tonight and entertain you thoroughly, but uh, anyway, that'll be better tonight, I promise you. But it's great to see you. Uh, I'm glad to be here. It's an honor to be here. In Numbers, the 13th chapter, the Bible says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of your fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. This is a great story, and it's not just one of those stories like, Disney's Frozen or uh, one of those deals that they come out with where a little girl somehow grows a fin and we call her Ariel. That's not the deal. We're talking about a real time that happens. Something real. And it is fantastic. It's amazing. And the reason it's amazing is because what God has promised was home. He's promised all of these people not just home, but a homeland. But there, was going to be, there were going to be great trials, and there were going to be tribulations, and there were going to be crossroads to that. But he promised them a reward. What he asked for in the midst of all this, though, was he asked for people to be faithful to him. And one of the things that these guys did that's going to really irritate God is that they have been wandering in the wilderness now eating manna, that God just allowed them to go around and pick up. Kind of like in our world today, you see people that sometimes that can do something, that don't do something, and yet our society takes care of them. And what happens whenever people are given something many times and they take it for granted? They complain. These people complained about that. So you know what God did? Okay, you want meat? I'll give you fat quail. So they had manna and they had fat quail every day. In fact, if you were to study how many truckloads and how many train loads that the Army Corps of Engineer would have to have to feed this group of people, it's a significant number. You know, sometimes we think, why don't all those uh, boys in in the uniform, why don't they just go drop in on all these ISIS evil folks and you don't just put a whooping on them wherever they are. Well, first of all, they're in 60 countries. Second of all, there's this thing called a supply line that's pretty difficult to do. God was the supply line of the people of Israel. And he's taking them out of Egypt and he's feeding them every day. And then he finally says... Go over and check out the land. And then God gives this wonderful illustration. He said, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. It's going to be a gift. Now, in that moment, that that sounds like a great deal. But the people would soon recognize that there were challenges in being faithful to this promise and, and, and laying hold of this promise and gift that God has had. They gather amazing fruit in verses 1 through 20 of Numbers chapter 13. It was truly a land that flowed with milk and honey just like God had promised them. Just like he had promised them. In fact, there were people that that came to the Americas looking for Sibala. And it was one of those wonderful cities of gold that people would look for. Fantastical treasures. Of course, it didn't exist. Had they been able to go to a place and gather amazing treasures with the stamped Sibala on them and brought them back, I promise you the map would look a whole lot different today. But they couldn't bring in back any evidence. In other words, all the people that told the story of Sibala or any other fountain of youth, they were telling stories. They were telling fables. They had no evidence to bring back to produce faith. But God gives you evidence to believe. God does not ask you to check your brain in at the church building door. And God did not ask them to cross over into the promised land without some evidence. He gave them evidence. The evidence was, hey, it's going to be a land that flows with milk and honey. It's really going to be wonderful. And it was just like God said it was. And after 40 days they returned. And they showed Moses and the people what they were able to achieve and they they talked to them and brought to them in verses 25 and 26. In verse 27 the Bible says, Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong and their cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Do you hear the whine that they're bringing back with them? Do you hear the whining? Do you hear the fear in the voice? These are little Israelites. Jesus was not Shaquille O'Neal. Jesus was not some big 6'11 guy. Jesus was a little brown man. And all of a sudden, they go over here and uh, they're giants. It'd be like going uh, to the NBA game and and, and walking down on the court. And if you've ever done that, uh, it's pretty amazing. I was starstruck in LAX airport. Savannah can tell you I left my briefcase. And if there's anything I don't ever do, I don't leave my briefcase. Jawan Howard walked through the airport. I had to go over and say something to him because that's what you do, right? Just this unbelievable freak of nature, seven feet tall, that walked through in front of me that I've watched my whole life play basketball from Michigan Fab Five to his NBA days. Pretty impressive. I wouldn't want to meet him in a back alley and he having a problem with me. And what these people knew, what the Israelites knew is, we're going to have to go over here and we're going to have to whoop these folks. We're going to have to drive them out. We're afraid of that. Caleb and Joshua were screaming, we can do this. Do you know what the greatest cancer is on the battlefield? Fear. You know what the greatest cancer is in any team? Fear. You know what the greatest cancer is in any organization that's trying to achieve a goal that sometimes may seem insurmountable? Fear. The I can'ts and the pessimists and the people that look at everything that's going on as as half full or almost dry. If you listen to the weather reports and if you listen to everything, pretty much, I think you guys are about to break off into the ocean. In fact, my whole life, people on the other side of the Mississippi River have been sure you were going to. Well, it hasn't happened yet. Contrary to every movie that showed it falling off into the ocean, it hasn't happened yet, and you're still here. But if you listen to the eight-word blurbs that people describe the fears of earthquakes or your fears back east of tornadoes, we're going to go circling up in a tornado, and y'all are going to fall off. Those are fears that people have wherever they live. There's a difference in me being afraid of an earthquake, because I am, And I'm also afraid of tornadoes, just so you know. And God's saying, Hey, I've got something for you, and I've got evidence, and I'm going to ask you to trust me and believe in me because I've never let you down, not one single time. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, it doesn't mean it's not going to be difficult. But I've never let you down. Caleb and Joshua were the only ones that really believed God, that really believed the mission. Notice, Caleb quieted the people before Moses in verse 30 and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able Listen, we're not able to go up against the people for they're stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report. You know what happens when God says, I want you to go over here and I've got a land prepared for you and you get pessimists that come on the scene and give the people a bad report? What happens? The people began to believe that bad report. They trust in that bad report. Fear begins to go throughout all the people. The Bible says the land through which we have gone out as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There were giants. The descendants of Anak were there from giants. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. If you've ever been a hold of somebody that's seven feet tall, as I just described to you, Jawan Howard, it's a pretty imposing deal. Um, I'm six foot two, it's one of those deals, you just, you're just you pretty much in awe. You get a team of those guys together, and it's really something to watch. It's impressive. I've got a nephew named uh, Trevor, and uh, he was throwing a ball one day, my, my middle brother Kip's boy, and he was throwing a ball one day, and the ball rolled underneath my cousin Alex's chair. And he wouldn't go get it and his mom said just go over there and get the ball and he said no that giant has it alex is about 6 3 and about 300 pounds a big guy that giant has it it's easy to look at your physical circumstances and say i can't it's easy to look at your physical circumstances and say god can't save me from this god can't help with this oh no what a lie. What a lie physical circumstances create in our minds sometimes. In chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, the people believed the bad report. They wailed about how they were victims and how they wished they were back in Egypt. And at least they could have died back in Egypt in peace. Moses and Aaron were beside themselves. Just to give you the hierarchy of leadership, you had Moses and Aaron. They were the main guys. Then you had Joshua and Caleb that were leaders as well, but they were the only two of the 12 that came back with a good report. And here's what I want to say to every man that considers himself a leader, and here's what differentiates people from being a leader and being a decision maker. Leaders are willing to go into places that are difficult and and tight and hard and very, very arduous Because it's the right thing to do. Decision makers will weigh the odds and they'll weigh things out and they'll lick their finger and stick it up in the air and see which way the winds blow. And if the winds blow politically the wrong way, they'll say, oh, you know, let's take a poll. Yeah, let's take a poll. That sounds like a great idea. I'm sick of polls. Are you sick of polls? I'm sick and tired of it. We've got an election coming up and we're already hearing about how everybody hates Hillary and hates Bush and we had enough Clinton and Bush and you, uh, maybe we have. I don't know what God has in store, but I'll tell you this. No leader that knows what is right stops and says, hey, let's take a poll to make sure that everybody's good with this. Leaders do what is right in those moments. The Bible says Caleb and Joshua tore their clothes. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody clear them out of spot, and I won't even call it pitch a fit, but that's kind of our thinking on the deal. I've seen some guys that were able to clear out a spot in the midst of circumstances where people were literally going to go and do the wrong thing. I've had the privilege in business to see people Leaders, real leaders, that despite all the people there, the majority of which said, oh, this can't happen, that can't happen, this is not going to happen, stand up in the midst of it and speak truth and speak a vision and show people this is what we're going to do. Get on board. Those were the kind of guys Caleb and Joshua were. You'd think automatically this story is going to end well. Yeah it's not going to end well. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel saying, the land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, there's the key, He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. For all of this speech that they just gave, the people picked up rocks and were going to stone them to death. Verse 10. It's not going well. It's not going well. God was so angry that he almost destroyed the people. Moses pleaded for the people, and he saved them. But God made a decree about the people, and here goes in verse 22 of Numbers 14. Because all of these men who have seen my glory and signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have put me to the test now these ten times, and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Every doubter, God said, and every complainer over the age of 20 years old will die and their carcass will rot in the land you will not go in you know what that means it means god holds everybody in this room accountable for what they believe and what they believe in and what they're convicted about and who they're convicted about god holds us accountable for what we believe To those that were older and those that believed that report and brought that report, every one of them had to die. And so years would pass before they would have this opportunity again. And I want you to notice how God differentiated those people from Caleb. He said, Caleb has a different spirit in him, and he was willing to follow me fully. Fully. That's who Caleb was. God said something else. He said all of these men who have seen my glory you think God takes it personally sometimes whenever he shows us who he is and then because of our own fears we acquiesce and we shudder and we fail him I think he takes it very personally whenever Jesus came into the world the Bible says the word was made flesh in John 1 and 1 In 1 and 14, the Bible says, God's word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, whenever we have have seen and whenever we have heard about Jesus, whenever we have examined the evidence about Jesus, and whenever we understand the glory of who Jesus is, And we fail away and we don't follow fully because of fear or because of whatever the reasons are. What do you suppose the reaction will be from God? In verse 34 of Numbers chapter 14, the Bible says this is what God told the people. Ye shall know my rejection. You know the greatest thing kids fear in school? Rejection. You know the greatest thing parents fear? Rejection. You know the greatest thing people that are married fear? Rejection. God will make your worst nightmare come true. If when you look at His evidence and when you look at what He has shown you and what He has given you in the form and in the message of Jesus Christ, and if you turn back from that, I absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt know that God will know. He will teach us His rejection. And just because he doesn't do it now does not mean he won't do it one day. In Numbers chapter 14 verse 36, this is what the Bible says. Now the men who Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. God struck them dead. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive of the men who went to spy out the land. Just for a little while tonight, I want to talk to you about facing our giants because that's really what scared these people. They saw giants. They saw a battle going on and they valued their own ability to fight in a way that basically said, I I can't do this. And I want to talk to you about overcoming some enemies and facing some giants in your own life. And there are only two. I don't have a bunch of points tonight. I'm going to make it very, very simple. The first giant that I want you to think about, and he he is a biggie, is Satan. The Bible says, but even if our gospel is veiled, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 3, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You know, one of the reasons why people don't accept the gift of God, and they're not faithful to God, and they're not heading for a home in heaven, is because of His work. When Jesus gave the parable of the soils, He said there's four kind of ground and there's one kind of seed. The seed is the word of God, and what we do is we go out and throw the seed, and it falls on the ground. The hard ground and the stony and the thorny, they don't bring forth fruit. Only the good ground does. And on the wayside ground, Jesus said, what happens to the wayside soil is the seed sits on top and the birds of the air come and devour it. Who do you think it is that wants to take the Word of God out of any and every possible institution of higher learning today? Who do you think it is that wants to ban every possible reading of Bible or prayer and anything you want to talk about? Who do you think it is that wants to keep everything about religion inside and locked inside of a church house? And laws are being passed. To call preaching the gospel and convicting people of sin hate speech in certain states. Who do you think is doing that? You're not up against an enemy that's easy. We're not up against an enemy that is to be trifled with. But we're not up against an enemy that cannot be defeated. We absolutely are not in the business of losing when we're on God's side. In Luke 22, 31, here's how powerful Jesus treated Satan as far as his relationship with Simon Peter. Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. That he may sift you as sweet, Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. To everybody in this room that thinks you're going to be able to good choice your way and by your own rationale and own thinking that somehow you can just tough it out and, and push through every situation without the Lord's help and without the church and without reading your Bible and without prayer and without any recognition of God's presence in your life, I want you to know Jesus had no confidence in Peter's ability to resist completely by himself. Satan wants you, he said, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me three times that you know me. I want to tell you, fear is the reason why Peter denied Jesus three times. Fear is the reason why Christianity is a diff- difficult thing for people to put on every day and remain faithful. Christianity, because of Satan, looks fearful in the practice of. Satan wants us to be afraid of losing our job or losing our status or losing our friends or maybe even losing everything because of our convictions in God. Do you know that Satan is asking for you tonight? I want you to get this straight. Satan already has the world. He's convinced the world that they don't need Jesus, they don't need the church, they don't need the Bible. I don't know if you saw the statistic that came out two weeks ago, but from 2008 to 2015, the points that have gone down, we've lost 8% of people that would refer to themselves as religious in the United States of America. In other words, that the headline went basically, Americans more secular than ever before. You know what that means? It means God's not a part of their life. Satan already has a significant portion of the world. Churches are being shuttered all over this nation, our brotherhood included, as a result of what Satan has been able to accomplish. Hearts that have been hardened to such a degree that the Lord is not welcomed. We have a culture that is so refined and so uh, educated and so in love with our brilliance that we have no place for Jesus or a need for Jesus. Because we live in a self-sufficient society that if we want it, we can have it. And if we want it now, we can push a button. We can go through a drive-thru. We can go to a, anything we want and we can have it now. From our thermostat to our food to hot water, we can have it right now. We live in a society today that Satan has convinced There's no such thing as an arduous, faithful, good life filled with purpose and self-sacrifice. But it's all about the flesh. He got Demas, according to 2 Timothy 4 and 8, because Demas loved the world. He got Judas because Judas had an affinity for money. And for 30 pieces of silver, he traded his soul. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, and he wrote about Satan, and he wrote about what was happening Here's what he said in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in yourselves. No. He didn't say that. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You know what I think about when I read that? I think about some little wimpy, shrimpy uh, kid at school getting bullied by somebody and the big brother that's about 10 feet tall and bulletproof, coming on the scene and just whooping up on the bully. We've all seen those stories. They've been unfolded in print and television and movie a thousand times. When the Bible says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, I would remind you that Jesus, with a few legions of angels, could have called and made a greasy spot out of the Middle East. We think we're powerful with our nukes and our air force and we talk about people pushing red buttons and all that good stuff. Jesus almost annihilated the entire Middle East. And the only reason he didn't was because he loved us so much. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Last night, we had a little firecracker gunshot, whatever it was, during church. And I got to tell you, I was feeling pretty good up here behind this pulpit. I think I could duck pretty good. I don't know how you're going to fare, but I'm going to do pretty good up here. I've got this whole thing, and it's wood, and I'm going to get down behind it. That's what's going to happen. I've got a shield. I'm going to trust in that. And if somebody literally were coming in the back door, and I were able to tell you, hey, we can all get behind a a concrete barrier and we can all pack in there and lock the door and you say, no, I want to see who it is and what's going on. You're not going to do that. You're not going to do that at all. You're going to grab, if I handed you a Kevlar vest, you'd be strapping it on. You'd be getting down behind everything you could get down behind. What God is saying is, hey, I'm asking you to be strong and I'm asking you to recognize that I have stuff for you to put on. I'm not asking you to go out and fight Satan with... uh, Nothing on? Put on the whole armor of God. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And he goes on to say basically this. You can do it. Stand therefore. And he goes on saying Gird yourself, clothe yourself, above all, taking the shield of faith. You know how you get faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If your faith is failing and you're not sure you believe in God, chances are you're not reading your Bible. Chances are you're not checking out the evidence that God has given us and the promises that God has given us. Chances are that we're not in the mode of thinking about this book as the perfect mental emotional, spiritual shield that God has mentioned for it to be. And by the way, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, was in a Roman prison cell, and he watched those Roman soldiers being clothed and girded with special armor every day as they watched his cell. And if they ever gave up their post or he ever escaped, they would surely die as a Roman soldier because Roman soldiers didn't take off their armor and they didn't fall asleep and they didn't stop doing what it is they were designed to do. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity of obedience of Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ has destroyed the most fortified philosophies and systems of idolatry. Atheism reels. At the message of Jesus and I assure you every History Channel and National Geographic story that comes along and tries to cast doubt on Jesus as some sort of a womanizer or perhaps he is homosexual or a variety of other claims the reason they have to do that and the reason these guys get on there and say well it's possible It's probable the reason they have to do that is because historian after historian after historian outside of biblical evidence has laid down their name on the line with accuracy who Jesus was and what he was and what he did on the cross. They laid down their name and they were not even Christians that Jesus did live, he was alive, there was a man named Jesus, he did die on the cross, he was a good man and performed many wonderful works. These are historians that didn't care one iota about following Jesus, they just wrote about him. Yet modern day people can fill your children's minds with all kinds of ignorance and arrogance with so-called philosophies that are not based upon any scientific or any historical document known to man but they basically can write supposition and they'll say things like possibly and probably and likely we know certainly that jesus lived and certainly that jesus died and certainly that he rose again think about this when you fight satan you're not alone If anybody thinks they're going to fight Satan by themselves and without the Lord's church, they have grossly underestimated their enemy. And they have completely destroyed one of the great attributes of God's salvation in the church. What happens when people devalue the church and they talk about their personal relationship with Jesus or their personal relationship with God and they never are present among God's people... They have destroyed the very sanctuary of God's manifold wisdom. Did you know the church is God's manifold wisdom according to Ephesians chapter 3? And God put everything and made everything subject to Jesus in the church. If you read about Revelations 10, 11, and 12, what you find out is Satan, his whole story was wrecked. And he's like a chained animal. He was thrown out of heaven... And Jesus was exalted to the right hand of the Father. And he has no more access to Jesus, our high priest. The bad part for us, that's the good part for us. The bad part for us is God cast him down to earth for a little while. And he now roams as a hungry lion. Trying to pick off your precious children and your grandchildren and your own soul. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Listen, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You're not alone. Jesus promised us that if we're in the Father's house and we're in the Father's hands, This isn't an Allstate plug, but I think about the Allstate commercial in my commercialized mind of you're in good hands. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said, if you're in my Father's hands, no one will pluck you out of my Father's hand. No one can. How do you make sure that you're in the Father's hands? How do you know where you should be? Well, you're in the Father's house. Every Lord's Day, you eat at the king's table prepared by Jesus, the Son of God Himself. To people that don't avail themselves of the privilege and the opportunity and also the command to be here, are basically saying, I'm going to go out and I'm going to face Satan and I'm going to win. And you're not going to win. You're a dead man or you're a dead woman walking if you're away from the church and you're away from God and you're away from the path of God that is centered around the church you're not winning you're losing or you've already lost you just don't know it the second giant I want to talk about in my last remaining minutes is the giant of self Jesus said in Mark chapter 8 verse 34 when he called his people to him and his disciples he said whoever desires to come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever desires to... Who will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him... The Son of Man will also be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. Now, take you back to the story in Numbers. God said, you will know my rejection. Those people that brought the bad report and didn't believe in God and didn't trust in God and said they're giants and we're going to get whipped and we're going to lose... God said, you're going to know my rejection. He turns around here in the voice of Jesus and says, you need to understand that if you're ashamed of me and my words in this sinful world, I'm going to be ashamed of you when I come back. In other words, you're going to know my rejection. You stand up for Jesus. He's going to stand up for you one day. You confess Jesus as the son of God. He'll confess you. You as his son, as the son of God one day. The giant of self makes people forget God and care very little about what anything and anybody else says except themselves. Paul contrasted those who were in Christ and those who were living for self in Galatians 5, 19-24. I don't have time to go into that, but I'll tell you this. In Romans 8, and verse 1, the Bible says... There is therefore now no condemnation that those who who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. That is a very succinct passage that draws Galatians 5, 19-24 in clear picture. If you're in Christ, you're saved, and here's what your life looks like. It looks like self-control and love and patience and, and brotherly love. It looks like that. It doesn't look like drunkenness and fornication and all the other sins of the flesh. And if you want to know if your life and your children are winning spiritually and whether Satan and the giant that he is is winning or the giant of self is winning, you open your Bible to the fruit of the Spirit, and you see how many of those things apply to you, and you open your Bible to the works of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5, and you see how many of those things apply to you. And Paul was describing people who had a habitual, practicing lifestyle that involved these things. He didn't say you had to be perfect. If you're here tonight and you hear what I'm saying, what he does expect is faithfulness. I'm not a perfect husband, but I am a faithful husband. Nobody's a perfect wife, but you can be a faithful wife. There's a big difference there. God is not asking us to live in in a world and and there's never a moment where we fail or fall at times or stumble. But he did say he wanted us to be faithful. He did say he did not want us to walk after the flesh, but walk after the Spirit. In Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's what Paul told the Colossians. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things... The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Here's what happens. You got to hate sin and hate everything he's selling. You ever heard of the old uh, out song and saying, devil in a blue dress? Sure you have. It could be devil in a blue suit too, just so you know. The point of it is very simple. Sometimes the things that look physically gratifying and that please your eye are nothing but bait to hook you in. That's it. In other words, what's behind that face or what's behind that suit of clothes and what looks so appealing to you and what feels so appealing to you, what captures your heart sometimes or your eyes or your affection is a trap. You know, the one thing I can't stand in my own life, it's a weakness of mine. It makes me react sometimes in ways I don't want to. I can't stand being taken advantage of. That's all he does. That's all he does. He'll let you feel a little pleasure. He'll let you feel a little affection. He'll let you feel a little acceptance. He'll let you have all the emotional, and then he's going to reel you in. I think about those fishermen out there on on deep sea fishermen, and they get these big, giant fish on there. And the fish, of course, take this bait and they run that that line as far as they can. It goes way out. That fisherman just keeps on reeling them in and keeps on reeling them in. You know, the best part of it for the fish, some of those fish, some of those fish recognize that they're getting reeled in and they figure out a way to break that line. You better figure out a way to break that line if Satan's got a hold of you and reeling you in. And you're in the best place on earth to break that line when you're in the Lord's house. You're in the, among the best people to break that line when you're among God's people. But you've gotta make up your mind you hate what he's selling. Because when he reels you in, according to James chapter one, he will absolutely annihilate you. Sometimes people get themselves so deep, so deep In sin that they can't see their way out. They're so tired. They're so exhausted. They give in that's the worst thing you can do That's the worst thing anybody can do And then the giant of self This is one of those that We've got to recognize that all the things that we want and all the things of this flesh are not good things The flesh is something that will war against us. It's something that the Apostle Peter said, it will always war against you. Satan will do that over and over and over again. And in and, and, and 1 Peter chapter 2, when he used the idea of the flesh that always wars, what he's saying is, Satan is not going to give up. And the young man's sin is not, may not be the middle-aged man's sin or the old man's sin, but all along the way, Satan is going to try his best reel you in he will always war against the soul and he operates through this veil of flesh he operates by what you can see that's why John would say don't love the world neither the things that are in the world if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him whenever James would say friendship with the world is to be the enemy of God why would he say that You're not God's friend if you're in love with what Satan is selling you. You're not God's friend if you're the one that is driving the boat in your life and you're the captain of your own ship. Listen, God is not asking to be your co-pilot. He's asking to pilot. He's asking to be in charge. He's asking for surrender. That's what repentance is. Repentance is bringing all of our mistakes and all of our problems and all of our flaws and surrendering them. And arising to walk in newness of life. Here's what Paul said. Don't you know that so many of us as were baptized into Christ, were baptized in his death? He said, just like we were buried with Christ in baptism, and the Bible says we arise to walk in newness of life. But God bethink that you were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you being then made free from sin ye became the servants of righteousness. Here's a story of an embattled football coach Uh I made a movie out of it, Facing Your Giants. It's a great movie. It's one of the few that I would ever plug in any kind of a lesson. A coach had a losing season. The kids didn't believe in him. It was a bad year. He had a lot of things messed up in his life. He had a lot of things that weren't going good. And he really, really, really began to work on himself spiritually. One day he decided he was gonna take his team in a different direction. He gets all the kids out there, and uh, he begins to get the biggest, strongest leader on the team—the one that was the most pessimistic—and he knew if he could change this kid, he could get to the whole team's heart because this kid was the heart of the team. And he called him over, and this kid was all pessimistic and down and out. And he asked him basically, "How, how far do you think you can? How far do you think you can bear crawl? You know what a bear crawl is? You get down. All, some evil coach thought that up." I'm just telling you, how far can you bear crawl when somebody is hooked to your back? He's gonna put another kid on his back. How far do you think you could go? Immediately, the kid wanted to know, well, how far do I have to go? And he just kept negotiating with him, and how far can you go? And then how far can you go blindfolded? And all along the way, this coach started him out, and, and when, you, when you start bear crawling, everything gets on fire real quick. You can't go down. You can't stop, your arms get on fire. If you don't believe it, just go home tonight and try it. Don't break anything and don't break your neck. I've seen some guys almost do that. So if you're not able, don't. But if you are, just go do it. It's a great exercise. They get this kid down, they blindfold him. He's got the other kid on his back and the coach is just in his ear. He is in his ear, encouraging him that he can do it. And the kid keeps going and keeps going. and He doesn't go 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 yards. He goes all the way to the end zone. And when finally he's able to take his blindfold off, he cannot believe he made it all the way. And it was a turning point on the entire team. Listen, there are people that God filled the stands of eternity with to cheer you on. God didn't want you discouraged. God doesn't want you down. God doesn't want you sad or upset or down on yourself or feeling like you're left behind in some way. He said, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You know what God did? God spent the life of people like Noah and Moses and Abraham to get your attention in 2015 so you never give up and you never allow Satan and you never allow the giant that he is to operate in your life and have power over you. God gave you the ability to break that line. God gave you the ability to be his son and his child and to be the king's child. God gave you that right. Don't you ever give that right away. The Bible says... You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Don't you ever doubt that for one minute. The greatest tragedy that I see happening in the church today is whenever people are getting discouraged and they get weak and they get down, the first place they cut attendance and time is the Lord's house. What a tragedy. What an awful thing. You want to know what's going along with that? Their Bibles never open. And we expect God to come down and do something. Kind of one of those stories about the guy that was going to go from the flood and that people came by, of course, and said, Here, we're the last, we're the last ride out. No, no, God's going to save me. The boat came by. The guy's on his roof. No, no, God's going to save me. The helicopter comes by and he's up on the tallest hill. No, no, God's going to save me. He dies. He dies. God has a conversation with him and said, what you, do you expect I sent you? I sent you an ambulance, a fireman. I sent you a boat and a helicopter and you denied all of them. How do you expect God to operate in your life if you shut the church house door? How do you expect God to operate in your life when you shut your Bible? How do you expect God to operate in your life without prayer? How do you expect God to operate in your life without fellowship? How do you expect to win without this team That's why this is the manifold wisdom of God that's why in Acts chapter 2 the Bible says they were praising God and having favor and the Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved God put you in the church right where he wanted you according to 1st Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 18 and the glorious news we have when we preach the gospel is by one spirit we were all baptized into one body this is where he put safety this is where he put salvation this is where he put this is where he put fellowship this is where he put our defense. And when we link our shields of faith together, Satan doesn't stand a chance. What I didn't read to you is the Bible says the shield of faith can quench all, not some, not part, all the fiery darts of the devil. Do you believe in that? Do you believe that with all your heart? You can win. We can win. We're gonna win. That's the beauty of the book of Revelation. It says and tells us the reality of the end game and the end game is we win until that time comes until jesus comes back or we die faithful to him you remain faithful to him you stay and you work and you be faithful and you don't believe the pessimism and you don't believe the lies and you don't get on the devil's line And if you find yourself or you find your children on the line, you do like what those great big fish do. You break that line. You recognize the situation you're in. And God gives you the power to do that. You're not going to do it on your own. But God gives you the power to do that. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information,